Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? Uh, I talked about it a little bit with uh, the dedication just a minute ago, but uh, Corey and I, we have four kids. We have a 13-year-old. Uh, he doesn't like to be called a kid, but I'm still dad, so I'll call him a kid. We have a 13-year-old, we have an 11-year-old, we have an 8-year-old, and we have a 6-year-old. And one of my least favorite things uh, about the stage of life that we're in right now is uh, Happy Meal toys, if I can be honest. Uh, we eat more drive through than we should uh, we're running in between lacrosse and baseball and just various activities and different things that we're doing. And, and, and so, you know, Corey cooks a lot. She cooks a lot of different things. And so we try to eat at home as much as we can. But there are definitely days where we eat, uh, you know, just fast food. Just pick it up and, and keep rolling and you're in between things. And sometimes you plan, you know, hey, we're going to make sure we make sandwiches at the house. And, you know, and that never works. And so we're, we're drive through. And so, uh, you know, we've probably got enough chicken nuggets and french fries between our seats to feed an army. Uh, I know some of you are like, oh, okay, I'm not hungry anymore, but that's okay. Uh, but that's one of my least favorite things about the season that we're in, because here's what I got to be honest about. I feel like the quality of the toys in the Happy Meals is going down pretty dramatically. <laughs> when I was a kid, I feel like we opened up the Happy Meals and we got like Game Boys or something. I, I don't really know, but I feel like now they're getting like cardboard cutouts of characters I've never heard of that will like be on some obscure web channel show, you know, in six months and they're trying to cross market. But it's terrible because then there's, they don't just give you one thing. Like I love Chick-fil-A for a lot of reasons. It's Jesus chicken. But other than that, they give you one, they give you one book. And it's just like, if you don't even want the book, trade it in for ice cream. So I'm great with that because normally I take all my kids' toys and, and go trade it in for ice cream for me. But other than that, a lot of places that you go, they give you like a thousand piece puzzles or something. Like there's just a lot of pieces to the toys that I'm getting in the Happy Meal or Kids Meal things at the drive-thru. And it is infuriating to me. I remember, I was, you know, I was, I was talking about what they used to give uh, when, when I was a kid. I, I do remember, maybe you don't think this is quality, but I remember it stuck out to me. I remember when we were living in Kentucky uh, we moved around a lot when I was a kid, and we were living at, in Kentucky at one point in my childhood, Lexington, Kentucky, and, you know, horse farms right across the street, right down the road, like just a really outdoorsy, just great place to live. It was awesome. And so in the McDonald's Happy Meals, when we were living there, they gave away packets of seeds that you could plant, like, to make a garden. Some of them were flowers, some of them were vegetables. Some of you may go, well, that's, that's terrible toys, too. I don't know. But for me, in that moment in time in my life, I thought it was a great toy. I loved it. And so I decided that though I had never done it at any point in my life, I was going to turn into a master gardener. It didn't stick. I'm terrible. I can't keep plants alive now to save my life. Even my grass is dying in the middle of the spring. But other than that, I decided in that point in my life that I wanted to be a gardener. And so behind our house, the previous owners had built a really cool like clubhouse, playhouse for their kids. And so now that we were living there, we were benefiting from that. So it was a really cool place. I mean, it was awesome. And so on the side of that, there was just this huge patch of grass. And so I convinced my parents that I wanted to, you know, till up the ground and I wanted to, you know, take all the clumps of rock and dirt and things and, and really make it nice so that I could build a garden there and put the flower, the seeds for the flowers on one side and put the seeds for the, you know, the different vegetables vegetables and things that we were going to try to grow on the other side. And I actually started, now this is how big a nerd I was at this point in my life. I grew out of it, but I actually started negotiating with my friends to get their seed packets. 
because I was trying to come up with a way to get more because, you know, we went to McDonald's every now and then, but not enough for me to get enough seed to really grow like a good garden. And so I started negotiating with my friends. I was like, hey, next time you go to McDonald's, you get the seed packet. Like, I'll trade you baseball cards or I'll trade you packs of gum or whatever to get your seeds. And I started getting a lot of seeds. And so I was getting a lot of different vegetable seeds. I was getting a lot of different uh, flower seeds, things that I could put in my garden. And so I, I tilled up the ground. I worked really hard. I took a shovel. I learned what a shovel was. Took a shovel, you know, kind of uh, turned the, the earth over and tried to make it as smooth as I could. And then I came and I, I dug out some little places where I could drop seed in, covered it up. I would go out after it had been a few days and hadn't rain, and I would water that area, and I just watched it and watched it and watched it, and it came harvest season. And if I can be honest, I was a little disappointed in harvest season because the only thing that I got to grow at all were radishes. That's really all. I don't even like radishes now. I didn't like them then, but it's all that came out of the ground. I mean, I'm not kidding when I tell you nothing else grew. Not like, oh, that was the only thing that was like, no, nothing else, the seeds were contaminated or something, because I did a great job. McDonald's was the one that messed it up. But man, radishes came out of the ground aplenty, all right? (laughs) We were giving radishes away for a while, all right? Because it was all that came out of the ground. And so I learned a valuable lesson that day that I, I didn't really know at the beginning of this process, but we had somebody that came to our house a few weeks later, and they said, you know what? You probably didn't actually prepare the soil for the seed that you were putting in the ground. Like, it's probably that you just put it in the ground, and yeah, you dug it up a little bit, and yeah, you turned the dirt over, but you probably had dirt that wasn't going to receive the seed very well, which sets us up really well for what we want to talk about today. Last week, we started this brand new series called Dirt, and you came in, there was a pile of dirt on the stage, and some of you are like, okay, that's freaking me out a little bit. But last week, what we talked about is this idea that in Genesis chapter one, God took dirt, and he formed us from the dirt. And after he had molded us into his image, according to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, which we'll talk about, he breathed his life into us. And then we talked about out of John chapter 8, There was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and her enemies came and threw her into the dirt and tried to make her stay there and believe that that's all she was good for. And our enemies do the same thing. They try to convince us that that's all we'll ever amount to. Nobody in your family's ever done anything worthwhile. Nobody's ever been good. Nobody's ever done good. You are shameful and guilty of a lot of things. And so you have to stay there in the dirt. And God has actually called you to something different because he called you out of the dirt, breathed his life into you, and gave you a new identity. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Genesis chapter 1. While you're turning there, it's in the first book, first chapter. While you're turning there, you're getting your device flipped over from Instagram or Facebook over to the Bible app on your phone. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Something you can't get away with outside of this church. Some of you are with me because you did this last week. Turn to the person to your left or to your right with all the love that you can muster and just say, you are a dirtbag. Look right now. If you say that outside of the church, they'll probably punch you in the face. The person beside you may have punched you right there. I'm not sure. Now look at the other person on your other side and say, you're a dirtbag too. And I mean that with all of my heart. (laughs) Genesis, we're going to have a good time this morning, I can tell. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created 
them. Genesis 2, 7 says this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust or dirt from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, earlier we just read there in Genesis 1, 26, it says, let us make man in our image. Let us make male and female. And we talked last week a little bit about this idea. Who was God talking to? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. And so we recognize that in the beginning of all that was, God already was. But now he's talking to somebody and he's saying, let us make man and woman in our image. Who is he talking to? What we talked about last week is that God, the Father, he was talking to God, the Son, the eternal Jesus, and God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just show up in the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit didn't just show up in the book of Acts. We believe that the Godhead, the Trinity, who are equal parts God, one God uniquely blended together as these three personas of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. He took the dust, formed it into his likeness, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so for us, we recognize that that was our origin. And so we understand that there is, for all of us, a connection to what happens in the earth. And what I said last week, and I'll say again next week, so I'm just going to go ahead and foreshadow for you, is that the other thing that he declared about us as he formed us out of the dirt and he breathed his breath into our nostrils is that he said he gave us dominion over the ground. And what I talked about last week for all of us to remember is that for those of us who see the struggle in present culture, maybe you struggle with it or family members or friends, or maybe you just recognize what's happening in our culture. And yes, there are synthetic drugs and things, but those drugs that come out of the ground that seem to have an addictive behavioral pattern over our lives and we can't figure out how to shake it, you recognize that it is not an issue with the substance. It is an issue with the creative order of God. Because God formed us out of the dirt, breathed his breath into our lungs, and then said, you have dominion, you have control, you, ha- you have authority over everything that happens, over, uh, it, that comes out of the earth. So if he created us out of the dirt and he breathed his breath into us, now this has dominion over that. It seems like the same thing, except we are created in the image of God. That is not created in the image of God. And so anything that tries to take control over us that comes out of that is actually trying to invert the creative order of God. And so what we recognize is that it's not just an addictive behavior pattern. It is a spiritual issue that's taking place in our lives. And so we have to make or to recognize that it is a spiritual issue so that we can subdue it according to scripture and have dominion and take authority over those things in our lives because that's what God created us to do. And so that's what we talked about last week. But what we recognized last week is that there are really three things that God does. Three specific things that God does. One, God is a God of formation. He formed the heavens and the earth. We recognize that he formed us out of the dirt. And so God is a God of formation. Everything that is, everything that was, God formed. We believe that. It has its origin in the creative work of God. The second thing that God does is he is a God of reformation or reformation. Because he takes things that are broken and he reforms them almost like clay that we would see that is uh, where, where the, the potter may break it down and then reform it into something 
else. That's what God does. He takes the broken places of our lives and he reforms us into something else that continues to to look like his likeness. The third thing that we see that God does is he is a God of transformation. He takes things that are and he makes them new things. God is a God of formation. God is a God of reformation and God is a God of transformation. And so we recognize that when God is doing these types of works, he's doing a holy work because he's forming something new, reforming something that was broken or transforming something new out of something else. And so we, we looked at several stories last week. It's, if you missed it, I'm not going to re-preach that message so you can go back and catch it on the podcast. But what we understand is that as God is doing that, as God in, in, in all of his holy work is forming and reforming and transforming, we recognize that Jesus came to the earth. And he came to the earth as 100% man and 100% God. And the reason that I say that today and the reason that I've said that in in, in recent weeks is because sometimes I think when we read the scriptures, we make Jesus this, I'm going to use one word that I don't really mean it this way, this unattainable idea. And yet, as he walked on the earth, he was a human being. He possessed the character and nature of God the Father, but he, he, he had the physical attributes, the emotional stamina the spiritual makeup of you and I, man and woman, on the earth. That's what Scripture tells us, so that we could identify with him. And so he was 100% man, 100% God, uniquely blended together. And so when he came and he walked on the earth, we recognize that he was on mission from the Father to do something and to teach something so that you and I could, could more and more exemplify the work of God in our own life. And so at the end of Jesus' life, just before he goes to the cross, we see this incredible picture play out in the story of the Last Supper. The Last Supper was the place where Jesus comes with his followers. We talked about it on Good Friday, where he comes and they have a meal together. And in that moment, he tells Judas that he can go and do what Judas is going to do as he betrays Christ. But there was this really powerful picture of of something that Jesus did. Corey actually talked about it, my wife. She talked about it on Good Friday. So if you weren't here, go on our podcast channel as well and listen to what she described. It was a powerful scene as Jesus, in that moment of the Last Supper, did something incredible as he served his closest followers. He gets up from the table, and he goes and gets a basin of water, And he takes a towel, or potentially he takes the cloth that was wrapped around him. He takes that off, and he begins to kneel down and to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, I'm not going to make you wash each other's feet today. I know some of you would be like, I'm not doing it. I'm leaving the church. That's okay. We're not going to make you do that today. But it's powerful for us to remember, because I think when I was growing up in church, we used to have a foot washing service about once a year on Sunday night. And it was the weirdest service we had in our church. Because some people were like, yes, it's foot washing. And you got a little leery of those folks. (laughs) And then other people were like, this is weird, but I'm following the example of Christ. And so I'm going to participate. And if your feet were ticklish, you tried not to giggle because you thought that was, you know, messing up the sacred moment. But here's what we need to recognize. Not only was Jesus modeling for us servanthood. Not only was he modeling for us that the leader in the room can actually make himself humble and lowly and serve those who are his followers, which is an example for all of us in the room, even leaders in business and leaders in your home, that you don't have to lead in this authoritative way all the time. You can actually become a servant to others to model what that leadership looks like that we get from the life of Christ. 
But he was actually doing something where he was washing off the residue of the dirt from where the disciples had previously walked. He was lowering himself and actually performing a function that they probably would have performed themselves. The table that they sat at was not a table like you and I sit at when we go to have dinner. You don't just sit down in a chair and scoot yourself up under the table. In that day, the table would have been very, very low to the ground. It would have just been something that raised the food up off of the ground just a little bit, if at all. In some houses, in some places, the food would have been prepared and laid out on the ground, maybe on some type of of drape or something so that people could see that this is the place that we gather around. Some of the pictures that we've seen, the depictions of this Last Supper, it looks like they just grabbed the dining room table and they slid it to the middle of the room and everybody pulled up a chair and they just kind of got around it. But in that culture, rarely were they sitting at a table for dinner. It was something where you came in and you sat down on the ground. And so the reason that washing your feet would have been important is because your feet would have been somewhere near the food. And so you probably sat down in some way. I'm not going to do it because I probably couldn't get back up. But you would sit down maybe with your knees towards the food and you would have your feet kind of tucked back behind you. And yet very close proximity to the food that you were eating would be the feet that had walked through whatever it had walked through on that day's journey. And so when you came into the house, you would have taken your sandals off and laid them to the side of the door And there would have been a basin there for you to wash your hands and wash your face. And in some places, especially those where you were going to take part in some sacred meal, you would have had the opportunity to wash your own feet over to the side before you entered into the room where you were going to eat the meal. But that didn't happen according to the scriptures at the Last Supper. And so it was time to eat, and they actually went ahead and ate. And then Jesus comes to them, and he models for them this incredible act of servanthood as he begins to wash their feet. And Peter great Peter, who we've continued to talk about week after week in recent weeks, and I'm not really sure why. I'm going to write something about it at some point, I'm sure. But Peter says, Lord, Master, Rabbi, Teacher, don't wash my feet. I'm unworthy. Why would you do this to me? And Jesus says something powerful to him. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be clean. You can't be whole. And Peter says, then wash all of me. But what I recognize is the disciples hadn't just walked that day's journey and picked up residue on their feet. Jesus was letting us know that he is the one who cleanses us from everything that's tried to stick itself to us from the journey of our lives. Some of us have walked a hard journey. Some of us have walked a tough road to get to where you are today. And you walk in here and you put on a happy face, but you know that there's some residue in your life And Jesus was showing us through the example of servanthood, of washing the disciples' feet, that he is the one who makes us clean. He's the one who makes us whole. He's the one that washes away all of those things from our past, all of those things that stick themselves to us and try to become a part of who we are and become a part of our identity. And they try to impact the moments that we're trying to have with him and with others. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you cannot be clean. And so what we recognize is that he wants to do a work in your life and in my life. There there are seeds of truth that he wants to deliver and to deposit into our life, just like I did with those Happy Meal seeds. You want to put them down into the dirt and the soil of our heart and our life. That's what he wants to do. But we read this powerful story in Mark chapter 4. I'd love for you to go there with me. We were in Genesis 1. Flip over to the New Testament, second book of the New Testament, Mark chapter 4. Beginning in verse 3, Jesus begins to tell a story to a group of of farmers, to a group of agriculturalists, 
so that they would understand something about the work that he wanted to do, that seed of truth that he wants to deposit in their life. And he challenges them, and again today he challenges all of us. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, he says this. Listen, let me just stop right there. Anytime you're reading the Bible and Jesus says, listen, he's talking to you just like he was talking to them. You need to pay attention. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and he ate, and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Now, what we recognize here is that this is more about the soil than it is the seed. The farmer was laying out the same seed in all of the places. The seeds of truth in our lives that God is trying to deposit are all the same. Now, there may be a unique work that God's wanting to do in your life that's different than maybe the unique work that God's wanting to do in the life of the person sitting beside you because of the journey that you've walked. Maybe there's a residue on them that's not on you or a residue on you that's not on them that he needs to cleanse or or to help clean you up or to do something different in your life. But the seeds of truth are the same. There is no universal, uh, you know, just, oh, you do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do and you take your own truth and I take my own truth. What we believe is that God's word lays out for us an absolute truth truth, that the seeds that are deposited in our life from God are the same for all of us. And so this story that Christ is laying out here in Mark chapter 4 is more about the condition of the soil than the condition or the contents of the seed. And so for all of us, we're trying to determine, okay, what does that look like in my life then? Like, what is, how does this apply to me? There were four types of soil that Jesus mentioned. The first of those was packed path. There was a packed path. It was packed by travel, by the journey. And really, this kind of goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. You and I are walking a journey. And so for a lot of us, there are a lot of things that have pressed that, that dirt, that soil down in our lives. A pack, the journey that you have been on, the journey that I have been on, it has actually kind of packed us down. It's beaten us down. It's, it's made us a little bit hard and calloused so that the seed can't even take root in our lives. And so the seed just sits on top, and the birds come by, and they just pick it up, and they eat it, and they take it away so that those seeds never take root in our heart because the journey that we're on has, been, has caused that, that soil to be packed down in our lives. And so for some of us, you look at it and you go, you know what, my heart, I can't ever seem to allow the seeds of truth from the words of God to really get into my life, to get into my heart, because it's just packed down so hard. There's just an inability for, for those truths to break through into my life because I've allowed the journey that I'm on and maybe the journey that I've been on to pack the soil of my life down so hard that nothing can grow. Nothing at all can grow. And so you've just stayed in this constant state of just nothing's happening. Seeds are deposited and then seeds are gone. Seeds are deposited and seeds are gone. And we don't ever see a fruit a new work of God in our lives because we've not allowed for that path to be broken up. We see a packed path. The second soil that we see there is a rocky soil, a rocky soil. And this is not necessarily just like rocks that are on the surface. This is actually that everything looks good for a season. The seed even went down into the soil, but it was very shallow. But underneath that shallow soil, there was a bedrock underneath that did not allow those seeds to take a deep root 
And so what happened is pretty quickly we see some things spring up. This is what happens to a lot of people once they make a decision for Jesus Christ. They're like, I'm going to follow after Jesus. I want to make it. I want to be saved. I want him to be the Lord of my life. And so there's some new fruit that immediately comes to the surface. I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to start praying. Sometimes we make promises that we can't keep. I'm going to read the Bible an hour a day. You haven't read the Bible for five minutes a day, but it's like, I'm going to read it for an hour a day. No, start out like you can hold out. And so they just say, hey, this is what I'm going to. And so there's fruit, and they start to see things happen in their lives that are brand new. But underneath, there is still a hardness because they're not allowing God to break up those parts underneath the surface. They show up to church, and, man, everything looks so good. And everything, oh, yeah, man, I'm great. I'm awesome. Things are great. And they're hiding underneath the surface that there is some hardness there because it is a rocky soil that seed takes root but when the sun comes or the storm comes there's not a root system that can sustain them and the flowers or the vegetation or whatever it is that these seeds are trying to bear are taken away they wither on the vine because there is not a root system in place the third soil that we see is a thorny soil we see that these thorns suffocate the seed that really doesn't allow for the seed to to bear fruit or to bear life of any kind because there is so much thorny soil that's there. And you can insert your favorite descriptive adjective here for thorny, thorny soil. Weariness, anxiety, fear, hurt, bitterness, discouragement, unforgiveness. Whatever you want to insert, just insert it right there. Whatever has happened in your past has caused these thorns to grow up. I got some rose bushes that aren't really bushes anymore. It's pretty much just a clump of thorns on the side of my house. And I meant to dig them out before they started growing back, and now I got to wait a year. I mean, that's really what I got to do. Because, man, those thorns, they just, they just, you don't even see it coming. You reach down to try to get one thing, and from the side, ooh, I got poked. I bought the best gloves Home Depot sells, and they do not keep those thorns from poking me in the hand. I mean, I just, ugh! I, you just pray for me, because, I mean, I think some ugly thoughts when that happens. <laughs> That's what happens. You don't even realize the things that are going to hurt you until you get into a situation and you think you're doing one thing, and all of a sudden this, this thorn, this root of unforgiveness that has been left there from years and years and years ago when somebody hurt you, Somebody said something to you. Somebody did something to you. And man, you didn't even think that you, you had a problem with it. But man, there, you can't allow that seed to do a new work in your life because, ooh, it stings you. Somebody says something. Somebody does something. And you don't even think it's related. And all of a sudden, you're hurting and you're in pain because there is a thorny soil there that completely kills off the seeds of what God is trying to do in your life. The fourth soil that we see is obviously a good soil. It's rich. It's broken up. The Spirit cultivates this soil in our heart when we allow Him to do a work in our life, to take those places of hurt and unforgiveness, to take those places that we've kind of been walking, it's packed, and to put a shovel or a tiller into it and just say, okay, God, this is going to hurt me a little bit, but I want you to actually take it and I want you to break it down and turn it over. And some of us, we go, no, 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 God wouldn't want me to hurt God wouldn't take me through a process of pain. But what we don't realize is that what God is doing is he's trying to dig in and he's trying to turn that soil over. And we go, man, my whole life seems like it's upside down. The question is, are my circumstances turning my life upside down? Or is God turning my life upside down to get me to a place where I can receive what he wants to deposit in my life? And so he's turning it up 
and turning it up to take that rich nutrients that's underneath, that's been hidden and probably kept away from seed for so long, and he's turning it to get it to the top. So he goes, hey, as soon as I deposit this truth in your life, as soon as I deposit this seed in your life, I want it to take root, and I want good fruit to come from what I'm trying to do in your life. Now, he was talking to farmers. I'm not a farmer. I told you, all I can grow is radishes. Lifetime of radishes. I'm not a farmer, but he was talking to radishes, and here's what we recognize. According to some study that I did, the average crop return was seven and a half times the seed. Seven and a half times the seed. But what he said was, when seed was deposited into good soil, that the return would have been 30, which would have been huge. 60, which would have been unbelievable, even 100 times the seed that was planted, which would have been supernatural. He was trying to help farmers to understand that when you do the work of preparing the soil, when the seeds of God's truth get into good soil, supernatural things can happen. And what we don't want is we don't want to give God permission to turn our lives a little bit upside down, to get out of some relationships that we're really comfortable in, and God's saying, no, you know what, but it's causing some issues in your life, and so I got to get you out of that relationship, and I got to get you into maybe a new job. I got to get you into some new places where you're talking about new things and doing new things so that when I deposit seed into that fertile soil, you are going to see supernatural results but we often don't want to allow God to do that in our lives. I want you to look quickly as we close our time to Matthew chapter 11. This is a crazy kind of story. I'm reading from the New Kings, uh, New King James, uh, James Version here uh, out of Matthew 11, just a couple verses. Then he, Jesus, began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Jesus was doing miracles and doing these mighty things in some of the cities that he was passing through, but because after they had seen the miraculous, they weren't repenting, He starts to curse those cities. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. He was speaking a curse over the city for what they were doing, their unrepentance, their lack of repentance, their lack of willingness to turn up the things in their lives so that what they had seen would take root in their hearts so that he could do something special. Now look at Mark 8, all right? This will be on the screen. If you're not following along, you can't put a finger in all the places that I'm referencing, that's fine. Mark chapter 8 tells us a story that has nothing to do with anything that we just read except the place where it's happening. They came to Bethsaida. This was the place that Christ just cursed. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I want to ask Pastor Trevor to come here and help me for just a second. In John chapter 6, verse 6, we see another telling of this same story, and this is what it says. It says, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, I'm not going to spit on Pastor Trevor. Some of you heard me reading that, and you're like, oh, this is about to get fun. I'm getting my phone out. We're about to insta-story this thing. So here, I'm not spitting on him, okay? But here's the deal. Jesus showed up in Bethsaida. 
Bethsaida was the place that he cursed in Matthew chapter 11 because he said that they were an unrepentant people. So he cursed the entire city. He cursed the ground of that city because they were unrepentant. They were not willing to do the work to turn up their lives to allow the soil to be fertile soil when he wanted to do something. And then he shows back up in that city and some people bring a man that was blind to him. And they say, Jesus, we want you to heal him. We want you to help him to see. And so Jesus does something powerful. I've never seen this until just recently. He takes the blind man by the hand and picks him up and he does not do the miracle in Bethsaida, which was cursed for their unrepentance. He takes him by the hand because he was blind and he walks him out of the city. He walks him all the way out of Bethsaida. Are you acting like a blind man? You're doing an incredible job. (laughs) And then he stops outside the city. Now, here's the deal. When I was reading this, I, I wasn't even thinking in the vein that he was in a place that mattered about anything. But Christ cursed the city, and then to do the miracle, he had to take him out of the city. There are some things that you want God to do, but he cannot do them if you stay where you're at. And so what you have to be willing to allow God to do is to take you and turn you upside down and lead you to a new place so he can do something new in you. He had been blind from birth. This was a guy who had never seen. And then look at this. Throw the scripture back up. I know I didn't tell you guys we were going to do this. But he said this. He looked up and, and Jesus said, do you see anything? And the man said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And then it says that once more, he touched him, and then he asked him, now what do you see? And again, I, I've never seen this until just this, more, or just this week when I was putting this together. Some miracles that we're asking Christ to do in our lives are instantaneous. There are things that God will do in a moment, like suddenly kind of things. But there are also some miracles that Christ does in our lives that are progressive, Because what happened was, he said, can you see? We know Jesus had the power to do the miracle right then. But he touched him in such a way that the man only partially saw. And then what happened is he touched him again. And he said, now what do you see? There was another step to the work of God in his life. He had to get him out of the city. And here's what I believe for all of you today. There are some things that you're asking God to do in your life, but you're asking him to plant good seed in soil that you don't want to deal with. You don't want him to take the packed path that you've been walking and do something with that past. You don't want him to do anything with the rocky places of your life. You don't want him to do anything with the thorns that exist in your story And in your journey, you just want him to put good seed there and trust that you're going to work really hard to make something come of it. And I think what he's saying is, no, 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 listen. Let me get you out of the familiar. Let me take the thorns away. Let me deal with the bedrock of your life. Let me deal with the rocky places. Let me deal with the packed down journey that you've been on. And if you will allow me to do a work, I want to dig in. And I want to turn some things over in your life. And I actually want to take you by the hand and walk you out of the city so I can do a new work in you in a new place. Because what you want me to do over there, I can't do over there. Because there are some things about that soil in your life that are not receptive to the new work that I'm trying to do in you. 
And so I've got to take you by the hand. And here's the deal. That blind guy was willing to let Christ do that. Now, you, you know what the number one thing that a blind person probably appreciates the most? Familiarity. They kind of know where everything is so they don't go bumping into stuff. They, they kind of know the voices that they hear and who those voices belong to. And so for a man that had been blind from birth to be taken from a place that was familiar to him and led to a new place outside of the only place he'd ever known was an act of faith. And it was an act of trust that required him to believe that the God who was holding his hand knew more about where he needed to get him so that he could do what he needed to do in him than he did. The other truth is that according to John 6, he took dirt and he spit in the dirt and he pressed it on the man's eye. We're formed from the dirt and he breathes life into our nostrils. And this healing touch required him to take our original substance and put some of him in it to accomplish something great in us. You are not dirt anymore. I don't care what anybody says about you. You are made in the image and the likeness of your heavenly father. And he wants to put good seed into your heart and into your life. But the question today is, am I willing to deal with the soil of my heart and allow him to do a new work in the soil before he deposits new seed into my life? And if you are, I believe that there is supernatural return, 30, 60, even 100-fold in your marriage, in your finances, in your purpose in life, if you're willing to allow him to do something with the soil of your heart. When I was growing up, they called this sanctification. It's where we don't use a lot anymore because it's a little bit cumbersome and it takes a little while to explain, but here's all you need to know. There is a instantaneous work that God can do in your heart to do a work in the soil so that he can deposit seed there. You don't have to be completely made clean before God can save you because he does that cleaning work. You don't have to clean yourself and go, okay, now I'm good enough. Come and do something. No, 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 no. You just come as you are and he does that work. But there is also a progressive work that he continually molds you and forms you and makes you into more and more of his image and goes, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Now we got to deal with this other issue. And now we got to deal with this other issue. I love, I was driving yesterday through downtown Atlanta. And as I was driving, I was looking at all the new buildings that they're building up there. And I was just thinking about the reality that for every level they want to go up, they got to dig deeper. And there are some things in your life that you're wanting God to grow you up in and to build you up and to make you into something. But the question is, am I willing to allow God to dig deeper into my heart and deeper into my life to take out those things that don't reflect him, that create these pockets of unsettledness that I've never dealt with the sin or I've never dealt with the hurt or I've never dealt with the unforgiveness so that God can do some things in me that I desire to see him do in my life. For every place that I want God to plant new seed, I've got to allow him to address the soil. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a minute as we conclude our time today. Nobody looking around. I just, if you would say, hey, you know what, Jeremy? Here's what I know about me. I've never accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. 
Maybe there have been moments when I ask him to deposit that seed and ask him to be my savior and forgive my sins, but it's just never taken root or I've never even prayed that prayer because I recognize that there were some issues in my heart and in my life, but today's the day and I want him to do a new work in me. I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I'm asking him today to forgive my sins and be the Lord and savior of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's more of a sanctification issue. I'm saved, but I need God to do a continual cleaning out, a turning over of the soil of my life, to take those rocky places and pack down places and thorny places and turn those things over to create more fertile places for him to deposit the seeds of truth in my heart and in my life. And I'm asking him to do it. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Let's pray. God, we love you today. We thank you for you are the one who gives us truth. You are the one that does amazing work in our hearts and in our lives. And so God, I'm asking you today to continue that work. We pray now for every person that's believed on you for salvation. God, forgive their sins and lead and guide their lives from this moment forward. Do an incredible work in their hearts. We celebrate with heaven now for those who make that decision. And God, now I pray for every hand that was uplifted to say, I'm asking God to do something with the packed path and the rocky soil and the thorny soil of my life to create fertile places for the seeds of truth and the new works of God to be done in my life. God, would you do that today? Would it be instantaneous and progressive? God, that you continually clean us out to form us into who you've called us to be. We thank you, God, for everything that you're going to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.